y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review Tipperary, Tesseract, The Art Project, and Similo Myths. Plus, they give us some first impressions of two historical games, Hitler's Reich and Plantagenet. And with that, I can come up with nothing funny. So enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome to the 309th episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. The title of this episode is Family Tradition. However, Tony, I would recommend we change it to Deja Vu by Dion Warwick. Ten years. Technology still bites us in the ass. Let me tell you what happens, y'all. When you have a corrupted memory card that you do not realize until after you've spent an over an hour and a half recording an entire episode to get to the end when Tony says, all right, let's, let's get our files synced up and then I'll start editing. And Tony just goes, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. Yeah. So, yes. Unlike it for the past 10 years, that's two curse words you've heard on RDTN, which you've never heard us, you know, I mean, it's, we're tired, it's late, and we got to recreate the magic. I mean, 309 was pure Emmy award. Pure it was. Emmy. It, it was. was. We were going to win, uh, I can't remember what the radio awards is called, uh, Peabody's or whatever it was called. Uh, some, I don't oh, know. I, I, whatever. It's like we were going to win a lot of awards. It was, it was funny. It mm-hmm. was informative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, we didn't drag. The banter was amazing. I don't know that we can recreate that. So what you're going to end up with is take two of uh, 309. So more concise reviews. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Guarantee this episode will be shorter than what the last episode was. And, and people are probably applauding right now. They are probably <laughs> saying, why don't y'all do this more often? <laughs> Do the dry runs and then go live. And, and well, you're right. Well, you know, tables, uh, TV shows and all that do table reads, right? You get around, you do the script, you get familiar with it before you actually go in front of camera and actually record it. And then you get multiple takes at that point. So maybe we should uh, employ those sort of procedures. Yeah. I mean, we just, we relived Marty's need for Christmas trees and how yeah, we it, did. It had a long discussion on Christmas trees mm-hmm. and uh, ornaments, and, and yeah, and, yeah, and ornaments, and how many trees that we had. It was uh, how we're able to buy more trees mm-hmm. now, having to actually buy more. Went through some of the themes of the trees, such mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. we got the the traveling tree and the Star Wars tree and the pop culture tree and the handmade ornaments tree and the the tree with the kids' homemade ornaments when they were in school. Yeah, there's, there's a tree for everything over here. And then we said something like, it's like, hey, Tony, you've only got two trees, and, mm-hmm. but one of them doesn't really count as a tree in Vanessa's world because it's got to be a six-foot tree, but you said yours is only two foot. It's only two foot, and it gets all the crappy ornaments. And that's, yes. that's it sits on a porch, and I forget to turn the little lights on. I will say one thing. The best thing about the artificial trees now are the lights are in there. I don't have to string lights. Well, here's the problem with those trees, Tony. Vanessa hates those because within two years, those lights stop working. And then you're stuck with the tree with lights. And then she's having to wrap her own lights around those trees to get them to work. Mm, I don't even Can you even buy Christmas trees without lights? Yes. Okay. Yeah. In fact, the uh, they're, they're harder to find, but they are a little bit cheaper if you want to wrap your own lights. But Vanessa gets very frustrated with uh, trees with lights on them because it doesn't seem like they last as long. Now, is she one of those that she has to hide the wires? Uh, she attempts it a little bit where she does wrap 
the lights around the limbs to try to uh, hide them. She does not go crazy and wrap lights around the trunk of the tree. I've mm-hmm. seen people do that. Okay. I Well, I know when I used to do it, I did my best, but then I decided, you know, you'd go out a limb and then go back in the limb and come out mm-hmm. the limb and back in. And uh, I eventually got to the stage where, screw it, I might just put the thing on a lazy Susan and spin it. We used to have a tree that was on a, that has, was motorized and would rotate, mm. yeah, which was really nice. That was really cool. Now I will say when I put up lights in my room and stuff, now the, I did get a new tree for our room for us. It's an NC state tree. That was another one of the theme trees I used to would just, yeah, I just threw the lights on. I just draped them. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care. Now I will say before we do well, uh, many, many, many hours before we recorded, I did just finish up my hopeful last mow of the season. Already? Oh, do you just not have many leaves? Because I oh. did a mow today too. I'm still a month out from my last mow. Oh yeah. Well, you've got nothing but trees. I have baby trees. Yeah, that's true. No, the white oaks are just now turning, which means all those big things will be dropping soon. Hey, we didn't talk about this last episode. We didn't talk about uh, lawn care. So there you go. I know. I, I try to make it fresh, even no matter what episode. I will say my uh, neighbor is obsessed with making sure there's no leave in his yard. So yesterday, oh. the dude spent four hours, no. four hours. And I'm sitting there thinking, why? His leaves are coming down as he's doing this. Like, why? Mm-hmm. So today, he comes out and does it again. I'm like, dude, just wait a few days. You're just... <laughs> what I try to do is I try to just stay ahead of it a little bit. I'll go one week and I'll go out, deal with the leaves, but I won't deal with them to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. knowing in just a couple hours it's going to be bad again. But I'm just trying to make it so that it's not a nightmare when I go out and do it. Now, I found it funny the other day when we were leaving the neighborhood, it was rainy which it hasn't rained here in forever and it was just misty and all that and dad had his kids out there raking leaves good in the rain nothing is worse than no. trying to go do wet leaves no 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 I, that's one re- i actually waited till today when the sun came out so the leaves would dry so i could easily i try to mulch them mm-hmm. uh, it's just too many leaves for me to rake and everything so yeah. I mulch the crap out of them, which is actually good for your yard because chopped up leaves is nitrogen for your soil. It's free fertilizer. I yes. guess. And I did my best at mulching mine. Though I do have these tree circles and I finally mm. found out what they are is they're, they're bugs that basically mm. the, the little um, white worm or the worms that drop out of the um, oak trees. Yeah. And they go to the ground and they form circles around your trees where they're eating the roots of the grass underneath. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, I've got six pretty cool. I mean, you're like, how can there be these perfect nature circles? You know, wow. I know. So I put down some bug stuff today and I didn't get the water. I didn't water it. Huh. Time. That sounds like a great theme for a board game. Doesn't it? How to yes. kill bugs to keep them from putting white circles well, no, around the trees. You're, you're a bug trying to create a perfect circle around the tree. That, I mean, there you go, Elizabeth Hargrave. There's your next game. There's a theme for you to happen. <laughs> <sighs> now, I'll, I am learning the new game from Stonemaier Apiary. I can't wait to get that on the table. It was about some bees. Yeah, there's a story behind that. We'll tell it when when it comes that apiary. time. But yes, yeah. Apiary, it looks really interesting. I watched a few mm-hmm. um, watch it played videos. They weren't watch it played videos, but 
Does, that's not copyrighted, is it? I, I doubt it. No, you mean just how to play videos. How, how to play. Mm -hmm. There you go. Because yes. you're not really watching it play. I want to see how it's taught. Teach me. Well, no, they actually how play. How to play. Like John Gets Games. They're, they're, they're going through various rounds. I like John Gets Games format. Yes. It's longer, but you get to see how the game actually operates. Mm -hmm. As opposed to just being spit out a bunch of rules, but I don't really see how the game works. Yeah. And I forget the two that I enjoy. It's I think her name's Monique and her husband. Oh yes. I know you're talking about. Yep. 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 I, I really enjoy um, their, because it seems like they, they do a good job of, of explaining the actions they're doing or why they did that. So you understand the strategy. So when it comes your time to teach, you can say, yeah. okay, here is some of the strategy you want to be thinking about, or here are some of the things that are going to happen with the card games that are coming. Well, that's, again, that's why I like John gets games because he does that. So he, like in a round of a game, he'll go through and teach you the rules of a round, mm -hmm. but then he continues to play the game so that you, now that you understand the rules, he'll talk about some of the thought process behind it. And he does a really good job with his timestamps. It's like, oh crap, I forgot how this particular action mm -hmm. works and go straight to that timestamp and just see how that particular thing works. So he does a good job with timestamps and everything like that, which I really appreciate. All right. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because there was, you said nature games and mm. have you ever seen a, um, there's a gentleman in North Carolina, his name is Ronnie Hughes. And, um, when we were, um, going through my mom's stuff, there was a sculpture he did called a, um, uh, Jack in the pulpit flower. He's a glass sculpture and he does wildflowers. Okay. All right. So if I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link into the show notes to his website, but it's uh, Ronnie Hughes glass sculpture. Somebody broke that statue and my mom didn't get, wasn't able to get up there and get it fixed. Um, pandemic, all sorts of things. So I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to take it up there and in memory of my mom to go up and say, Hey, I'm going to get it fixed. And now it's going to mm. sit in my house. And the man was so incredibly nice. He lives in the mountains and his basement is his studio where he does glass sculpture, glass blowing, and he has a whole display of some of his works. Now this repair cost me $500. Wow. I could not walk away from his sculptures. Some of them, I, I bought one. I said, this is just amazing that he was able to do details of leaves and flowers and color. I don't know how people can do that. And I asked him, I said, Ronnie, have you ever had a mentor in this? And he goes, no, people don't want to learn this art. They don't want to learn how to do that. And I'm like, it's, it's different from glass blowing because sure. it's sculptures. Okay. So he's no glass blowing at all. No, he's doing glass blowing, but he is doing it such that like, like an ornament he made he, while we were there, he formed the ball and then he took the colored glass rods and heated them up with this 3000 degree. I would have set the house on fire, 3000 sure, yeah. degree butane flame. And he melted it into the ball and he did these streaks in it. And then Ooh. he was able to blow it so that it formed around it. And as it cooled, it was this amazing, amazing artwork. And he's known for his, uh, he does Car uh, North Carolina dogwoods, which is the state flower, Jack in the pulpit, lady slippers. And it's just his, his artwork is amazing. He had a commission piece. He couldn't tell us where, but I saw the pictures of it. 
and it was phenomenal. And when this gentleman who bought it dies, it will go into a national museum probably. Oh, wow. So I know you don't have Netflix, but if you like that, there is actually a reality show on Netflix called Blown Away, which is a glass blowing competition. And they do the same sort of thing. It's not just glass blowing, but Mm -hmm. it's glass sculptures of taking glass and stretching it and melding it with different colors and creating different Mm -hmm. colors. And so that's exactly what it is. So again, I know you don't have Netflix, but there's a really cool reality show called Blown Away, which you may enjoy now that you've seen, you know, that in action. I think I'm a month away from Netflix. Month away. Yeah, there's a lot of st- there's a lot of content. If you just got it for a couple months, you you would have a lot of stuff to watch. Well, I mean, sure. I figure it's going to take 3 to 4 months for them to put the first blue bloods in the can. So, I've got that time. Mm, that's true. That's true. Cuz the, 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 the actors the actors, actors are, are back. Now, no longer on strike, so there's and I could just Oh, I watched a movie the other night on Netflix that we really enjoyed. It's from David Fincher who did uh, did you ever see Seven? Movie Seven. Seven. I'm trying to think. It sounds very familiar. Pitt, uh, the one where it's the detectives trying to uh, solve a serial killer. Maybe. Uh, what? What about Fight Club? Did you see Fight Club? Fight Club. Yes. Yeah. So this is the same guy that did Fight Club. Is Fight Club the the quote where there there's only one rule in Fight Club? There is no Fight yes. Club. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. So it starred Michael Fassbender. Who mm. played Magneto in the new X Men? A lot of other stuff too. And it's just called The Killer. Really, really good movie. Only on Netflix. So that's a if you like David Fincher and his style of filmmaking, it's really good. Okay. So yes, I will. I will probably. Yeah. I just. I keep holding back and saying, "Why? Why in the world?" To and I was like, "Okay, I need to go watch this. I need to go watch this." If you just yeah, I mean, you and Donna could gotta watch one piece i could just start giving you shows you need to I, I am not watching one piece dude just watch one episode and see if you like it or not no i'm not going to like it how do you know i i listen to you and bert at game night talk about it and my eyes glaze over well because you don't know what the context is of the show it's an anime. That's all I need to know. No, no. It's a live action show. Okay. It's a live action based on an anime. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> based on a manga. By the way, I just want to let everybody know that everything since the Christmas trees on is all new content. <laughs> we didn't talk about any of this in our first recording of this. See, I can keep it. I can keep it out keep there. It I, can keep it I think there was something. I think we totally dropped a whole thing on like the free Krispy Kreme. I guess we yeah. just ditched that whole topic. There wasn't much to talk about that. I can't even remember what else was in the end. Oh, it was all about family traditions, which was the name of the episode because you couldn't. Uh, and we were just oh, listing off all of our right. family, family traditions. traditions. That's right. And all the things that we were doing. And we killed that because uh, we moved on to other more important things, I guess, like glass blowing and, uh, and bug circles. And, and then there was the whole car discussion about where I can't get the key out of the ignition of the car. Yeah, was that was that really interesting that we should go through again? I, yeah, well, I mean, our Discord channel discusses a lot of car topics and sure, how to fix sure. cars. Right. So, so they would have appreciated that discussion and, you know, how, you know, if the car senses that it's in park, it will let you take the key out of the ignition. You see, this where I had to uh-huh. get it clarified what you really meant was it's it's – if the key is in park, it lets you turn the key ignition back to the off, off position, position. Mm-hmm. which allows you to take out the key. 
but it would not release it when it was in park to go back to the off position. That's right. That's where I was confused. Yes. Yeah. So, so we've clarified it, but even though I still kept the confusion there, was mm-hmm. that, yes, the car will not sense that there's a relay there that it's in park and says, oh, you can now take it to the off position, completely mm-hmm. off, and pull right. the key out. And, and then we talked about how you're going to have to buy a new car because it was like $1,000. $2,000. It used to be $1,000, yeah. but now it's like $2,000. Yeah, so we talked about that too. What else did we talk about? Well, it was the Chevy. So, oh, we talked about a game. Oh yeah, we game. What, what was the game again? We talked about. Oh, well, uh, we talked about, and I said it wrong. So uh, that's uh-huh. a given. That's a Similio. Similo. See, I said it wrong again. I haven't heard it pronounced. Similo. Things, but like similar, Similo. Well, there's Milo and C. C Milo. If I break it, I M I L O. Sim like similar, Similo. Okay. I don't know. I'm I guessing. Don't I don't know. But I've got the myths version and you said. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, what, and which versions do you have? Oh, well, so there's a bunch of different versions of this. And who is this from? It's from Horrible Guild, right? Horrible Guild. Horrible mm-hmm. Guild. Yeah, yeah. So there's a fables version, animals, myths, history, and spookies. And I've talked about this on the show before because I talked about history. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like a guess, guess who game. There's going to be a player who's going to draw 12 cards and he's going to look at one of the cards. And this is the card that he wants left on the table at the end of the game. So he needs to give clues about this particular card because he's going to shuffle up the 12 cards and put them down on the table. And then he's going to draw a hand of cards, play a card, and depending how they orient the card, horizontal or vertically, will indicate whether this card is similar to the clue card Mm -hmm. or it's dissimilar. The other players are trying to eliminate cards till there's only one left. And in the first round, they eliminate one card. The second round, they eliminate two cards. Third round three, fourth round four. But after that, there's only two cards left to where they hopefully pick the right card. If any point in time during the game, they take one of those clue cards, discuss it. It's like, well, let's get rid of this one. It happened to be the one that's the, that, the, that the clue giver's given clues for. Yeah, the game just immediately ends. So this is the first time you've played. We played with the myths. So what did you think about it? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. The artwork was amazing. I like how fast it was on the table. I enjoyed some of the tension in it, especially in the fifth round where you were down to two cards because you had made it as far as you could. And it was like, okay, if we screw up here, we just wasted all that time. Um, Now you can have some discussion as to what does it really mean. And I do think that um, when I played it the other night, um, outside of game night that it was going to be, you know, we, we found it very easy. We, we were perfect every time we did not screw it up. So I think some of the challenge of the game may be in combining two sets where the clue card is from the myth series, but yet the ones where you are giving the various hints to it are from a different series. So mm-hmm. you can't really um, tie them too well together. Cause in the myths cards, there's so many monsters. And if your character happens to be a monster, you can sit there and play a card. That's a monster and say, yeah, it, uh, you know, and people can say, Oh wait, that's the monster card. Oh, so, so you play like a monster card and the orientation that says, this is similar to my mm-hmm. card. And we would go, Oh, well this is a monster. So let's eliminate the cards that aren't monsters, which are human looking right. things. Yeah. And, but you could do the same thing. Male, female is always an easy way to start out. You know, you play a male or female to say, Hey, mine is similar to this female. We go, okay, well it must be a female. So let's eliminate all the dudes, mm-hmm. you know, and you can go, but, but eventually it gets tough yes. when you don't have those cards to play. And then you're down to, do you play cards that are similar because of a, of a eye color or beards or hats 
or something that they wear. So, Or how they're looking on the card, orientation of the eyes. But I found that we were able to have enough monster cards in our hands that we were able to distinguish fairly quickly to get it down to the two. And so I was thinking, you know, well, if I had the um, Fable series, then that would kind of be, okay, now we need to look for actual similarities in the drawing versus so much as in male-female characters. Though you could still start with that. I did find that the um, myth, I kept wanting the people who were playing to lead to some of the mythology behind it, but no one ever went to that deep. So here's the thing. That's why I like about the history deck, because you would start doing things like, oh, well, this guy was a commander in a war, general in a war, and these other characters were participants or military figures. So, or this was a scientist. You know, you could do some similarities based on the character who it is. That's why I like the history because it has that sort of stuff you can do with it. And I think it would add more challenge with the two decks. So, let's say you had commanders in the war, and I were to play. Uh, let's take. I don't know what's in there. Let's say we put out uh, MacArthur. All right. Yeah. But in the myth like series, the, Napoleon for sure is in there. Okay. So Napoleon. So you're sitting there. Okay. Napoleon. All right. But how does that tie to a myth card? So now you've really got to, I think, take it to the level of Mysterium from that mm-hmm. standpoint, where it's abstract, even though it's figures. I will be picking up another series to add to this because it was a, enjoyed by all everybody at the table. So I'm like, okay, well maybe I need to put another one in the collection so I can do that. Because once again, it's a great filler. It's quick. It's easy while you're waiting on people. I mean, there's, there's a limit to the number of players, but because the more you get, the harder it is, or that you will find where certain people take over and everybody else will just be watching. So I think there is a limit to how many, even though you don't have to, but yeah, so yeah, horrible games. Uh, I'm happy that I was able to get this played. I'm surprised it's taken this long, but you know, sometimes things just fly underneath the radar. Yeah, it does. All right, yeah, so we talked about that. And then it's like, oh yeah, I dropped this big bomb on what's well, supposed to be you and everybody else where uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be a granddad. Yeah, you old fart. Yeah, so yeah, I dropped that bomb. So you missed yeah. the initial reaction from Tony, which was rather right. subdued actually. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's nature. We, what these things are going to happen, Ooh, which once again, I, I, I yeah. know, I know, but I went from a year ago, my son wasn't dating. Well, I guess he'd start dating her by then. To, hey, I'm dating. I'm really serious. Hey, I'm getting married in the spring. Hey, we're gonna have a big time wedding in the fall. Oh, hey, by the way, I'm I'm gonna be a dad. It's like, dude, it's one year. Slow down. <laughs> hey, what he's got to get it on? done. He's got to get. <laughs> He's got to pop those four babies out. I mean, <laughs> I am curious how many they're going to go for. I don't know how many he wants. I think she would. She has three other sisters, so she comes from a big family. Mm. So we'll see if she wants a big family or not. But yeah, it's it's going to be a boy that is confirmed. So I've already got to buy a, a baseball glove. I'll do that pretty soon. Don't roll your eyes. <sighs> baseball glove. And maybe he wants to play football, the real football. I mean, yeah, I'll get him a helmet and some pads. Sure, why not? They, yeah, when they're playing f- football at that age, yeah, helmets are important. So, <laughs> so you don't because you know their little brains are still forming. Uh, Adam, Adam, like me, never played soccer either, and really doesn't have much desire. So we'll see. Oh, we'll see, see how push him towards the standard three. See, you're already plan- planning the sports. Maybe he doesn't want to play sports. Maybe he'll take up uh, music like his father and like that, his that's grandfather. True. That's his- true. I'm, I. 
I just say every kid should play at least some sort of team sport. It doesn't have to be competitive. I think playing a team sport is good nurturing for a child to learn how to work with others, work within a team environment, and respect authority. There you go. He can be a gymnast. 100%. He Absolutely. can be whatever he wants to be. Maybe they'll move to the mountains and he can do skiing and you could go back on the slopes. That's true. That's not really a team sport, but yeah, I thought I was, you know, team sport. Well, I mean, they do team scoring, so you cheer That's for one another. I mean, so that, 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 that can happen. And I'm just sitting here thinking, so Adam was the eldest of the, your three boys. Yes. Travis never really had the middle child syndrome. Right, not that I know of, unless he goes and needs to talk to a therapist and and. Well, we all need to do that. We all need to do that. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I, I what's the middle child syndrome like? Like nobody pays attention to him. Mm-hmm. You're forgotten. You're forgotten. You go under the child. radar. Man, I don't know. He's never said that, but maybe he feels that. I'm not sure. Well, as big as that boy was, he couldn't be forgotten. No, he's pretty, pretty big boy. Yeah. So well, congrats. He's, the, he's the, he's a big boy, and like Brett's the tallest. Mm-hmm. Brett is. Six three, six four now. Oh my, yeah, crazy. You're short. I am. It came from Vanessa's side of the family, so <laughs> it's definitely, definitely not me. Not from my before I shrunk by five eleven. I've gone down since then, but uh, cartilage yeah. is settling. Yeah. Sucks. That that pervis gene is strong in them boys. The pervis gene is strong. So yeah, so I dropped that piece of knowledge, and yes, I do feel old. And the only thing I'm struggling with now is what to get called. It's that picking of the name. Vanessa's already picked out something. I don't even know what it is. I can't remember what it was. So I heard a story recently about names where people are, you know, the names of the of the past are gone because people want to have individuality in their names mm. or their kids have individuality in their names so that you don't hear the Johns and the James and the Tonys and the Davids. Well, I mean, and, my name for me as oh. the grandfather. Oh, I'm sorry. Not his I, name. Not his name. What, what name did Vanessa pick out for her? Vanessa, what's the name you picked out for yourself as a grandmother? Oh, she has not yet. Oh, I figured it was like, don't call me grandmother. Yeah. She can't. She says she can't decide. Abuelo, like we went over the went over the Spanish name and the stinger. That was an actual good stinger, but that was too long. So we'll have to come up with a new stinger. <laughs> yeah, that was the stinger. It was a little too long. We'll have to shorten that. It's interesting going back and doing this a second time. And what's funny is um, we're actually approaching the length of what our intro was uh, for the first episode. Somehow I thought it'd be a lot shorter. Oh, but it's good not. God, no! And well, you and I just sitting around <laughs> chatting will never be. And I keep checking the time, making sure this bad boy's recording. Donna's already gone to bed. She just sorry said, I'm going to bed, you fool. Oh, yeah. Vanessa said, yeah, well, I'll just see you in the morning because I'll be going to bed soon, mm-hmm. too. Hey, you know what? Why don't we just go ahead and jump over and start talking about some of the games we played recently? Head over to shopportalgames.com because you know what? It's you've, you, you had the turkey comas sitting around. And you needed to bring everybody together. Well, if you had gone over to Shop Portal Games and picked up the new detective series over there, not new, but 
the, the detective series, you could have livened up that crew up. You could have had them getting their brains engaged and not taking naps on the couch. You didn't have to watch those football games. You could have been playing a board game as a family together to try to solve some really challenging mysteries. Or you could have picked up the Batman detective series and not watched a really poor DC movie. I use that same kind of joke in 309A, by the way. It went over just as well. Just as well. It's a lead balloon. A lead Zeppelin. A lead Ooh. All right. Okay. So, um. Ah! Uh, sorry, back to the portal. Sh- portal. That, that was not a three or nine eight. That was, that's not, new for yeah. That, uh, shop portal games. You, you head over there. Be sure to get, look into the Imperial universe. That uh, Ignatius Cretan and those cute little characters that he has. Settlers, miners. You know, empires of the north. Still, some of our favorite games to play. Pick those up. Get ready for Christmas. And hey, we talked about football. You can always go and manage a football team in 11, a game that, you know, I'm, someday I hope that I get to play. But, you know, it, Marty may say no because he, he thinks, you know, it's not, it's he's not a good manager of a sports team. I don't know. You, we need to play that game. Yes, I do. Why don't we? I just, just got to make time for the table. So head over to shopportalgames.com. I was so excited, Tony. I got to come over to your house last week, and we got to put out on the table a couple GMT games that we had been wanting to play. Now, I have got a lot of GMT games in Shrink, and I think you have some too. And, mm-hmm. and we've been just like, oh, guys, these guys are going to talk about historical games again. Yes, but he, here's the thing, y'all. And I said this in our first episode. <laughs> I'm saying that a lot. And, and um, three, wait a minute. Let's call that three and 309 versus 309 Part two yeah, or A. 309A, 309B. 309B. The GMT games we've been playing could be any theme, honestly, because we tend to play these card-driven resource management Euro-style GMT games. They're not the typical, what you would see, the hex encounter, uh, what they call type games with the hex maps and the little, little small chits that you move around. These are definitely more Euro-driven. And Tony, the one that you taught me, Hitler's Reich, mm-hmm. definitely has more of a Euro-feel, card-playing, area-control-type feel of a game. Yeah, and when I went back to BGG and I was reading the description that you see on the page, one of the things they said, and I, I started thinking about it, I'm like, hey, maybe they're right. I mean, it took five minutes to set up. I would agree with that. Very, sim- very simple to set up. But it says that um, using a combat mechanism similar to the traditional card game War, with dice added in. Yes, actually it is because the, a lot of this game has to do with conflict resolution, mm-hmm. whether it be attacking somebody else. There are actually some actions that you take require combat or conflict resolution. We both will take a card from our hand, face down, uh, show it. There's a value for each card. Then we would roll dice. There's a way you can get bonus dice depending on the action you're doing. Person with the highest one wins. Right. Highest of value wins. It's the different actions you take using that conflict resolution, which is interesting. And obviously the goal of the game is, is to be able to take control of production fields in Europe during World War II. Right. That increases your hand size. And if certain, if you get a, a, a huge difference between the, the allies and the Axis hand size, then you will go into a 
victory condition scenario that could happen. Or if you play the entire campaign or over the years where you did not resolve that, then there are various things that you will look at to measure. So it's not like trying to wipe each other out. It's trying to maintain control of areas without worrying about placing a whole bunch of chits and doing a huge battle. I mean, it's basically, I am going to attack this land area. And in doing so, I'm going to play the, uh, first off, I will not be playing any effect cards or I shall play an effect card that lets me do something. Mm -hmm. And then you will respond. I, Hey, I will put this effect card into play. Then we'll both select cards. Then we will sum up our dice. You'll start with three. And if you have any additional dice based on how much land you control around where the area is being attacked, or maybe there's some fleets in the, in the sea that can help you or the effect of the event card, then you roll the dice. Whoever has the biggest number is the winner. You would may remove a token. You may add a token. You will adjust hand size as needed. Next person go. And that is really the crux of the game from Hitler's Reich is just how can I manage these areas and maintain the cards in place so I can win at this war game? You don't have to check supply lines. That's out. That's that's nice. And, but there are certain conditions as you're playing that can come into play depending on just like what occurred during World War II, Operation Barbosa, where you can launch an invasion into Russia or D-Day attack. Those kind of things all come into play. There are three event decks. There's the ally event deck, the Axis event deck, and a shared event deck. The events, which I've already mentioned, go to a general play area that you can have. Some of these events will go away. Some of them will not. But that, to me, Marty, was the game. These events help control how the game is played, and we need to know about those events. Yeah, I also like, too, that it wasn't just like, hey, I'm just going to go willy-nilly grab an event. You can actually look through the deck, decide on an event that you want, but to get that event, you have to go through that conflict resolution phase that I talked about earlier, which is really cool. And like you said, there's some events that will, if you use the event and you win that conflict, you get to keep it. If you lose, it goes away. Some are, you know, go away from out of the game altogether. But the use of the cards also determines the, basically the round of the game. Uh, when you're out of cards and it's time to reshuffle your deck, you actually increase your year or round marker for your side. But both of you uh, increase those independently of each other. But once both of you reach the same year, um, mm -hmm. then there's going to be a year-end resolution of getting cards back into play, maybe adding new cards to the event deck, which would represent events that would happen in that current year that you're going to be playing out, which was cool. Because mm -hmm. you're always going to draw after a conflict. You're always going to refill your hand, which is one card. So maybe someone is farther behind because their hand size is that much bigger, but that would have started sooner because, but, and, and that's that give and take. So Hitler's Reich from GMT, I'm, I like it because he doesn't have the chits. I like it because it is quick playing once everybody understands the basic rules. Now it says it takes two hours to play. Yeah, I can see that after you know the cards and the strategy will be interesting to see is for us. Now there's this whole, um, what is it? Autobot in disguise uh the flow chart oh yeah you mean for playing solo for playing solo uh -huh. i, I want to give that a try and see how it does because that is one reason why i picked this game up it has the dreaded gmt score of a nine on the back of it for being solo driven meaning that it plays very well as solo versus with two people though it plays best with why two, is that a dreaded score because that's what makes me buy it oh i see and do you realize this is the day before the 50% off sale 
uh, kicks off at GMT. So be looking over things that you might want to buy. Uh, yeah, I know. I, it's, if it's got heavy chits, I don't want it. But then after we finished, well, we didn't finish the game. We got the feel of it to see, mm-hmm. hey, so here's this. Marty decides to put, he's he's in love with these, this, um, the Levy is Dry campaign games. <laughs> Levy and campaign games. Levy yes, and campaign yeah. games. He's loving these games and he's like, man, this is one of the easier ones to get on the table. Let me get this on the table. The pizza got cold while he was setting this up, but we got put it in a microwave. And then he started um, explaining this game. And in, yeah. and three oh nine A were the first version. He asked me what did I think of it, and I looked at. I basically said, Marty, I was so confused. So this is a game from Francisco Gradella. This does take a while to set up. What's the name of the game? I didn't even give it the name. I did in three oh nine A. Go back and listen to that one. Plantagenet, P L A N T A G E N T, which is a royal family. It's called the Cousins War for England. Have you ever heard of War of the Roses? Mm-hmm. This is implementing the War of the Roses from the 1459 to 1485. Now, the reason why I brought this particular uh, levying campaign game before you, this is the fourth in the series. To me, I think this is the easier one to learn because there's less actions involved. Uh, I've been playing Nevsky. I've been playing that with Ignasi. This is my first time playing this, so I had to get it set up, kind of relearn the rules with the new system. But this is basically levy is you have lords on your side of the table. And at this time, you're going to be able to play some capability cards, which are ongoing cards that you can attach to your lords. You're going to be able to muster troops to add to your lord board as you go out and try to do some campaigning around the UK. And uh, you can also get some transports like carts and ships to transport your goods and everything. Once both of us has done that, we go to the campaign phase where we actually activate the lords to move them around on the map to try to gain influence within cities and towns and fortresses because influence points are actually the victory points of the game. Depending on the scenario, once you get to a certain influence value, you win the game. But what I think is really cool is influence points are also a resource. Some of the actions you take take an influence cost where you have to pay an influence to even take that chance for an action, you could spend additional influence to better your chances of succeeding because it's going to come down to a die roll. If ever out in the map, you and I have forces that face off in the same location, we actually go and perform a battle. Again, the whole goal is pretty much area control. Get more influence markers on the board than what your opponent has, accumulate points at the end of each round, based on the amounts of influence markers that you have for the goal of getting to 25 points by the end of the length of the scenario. And for ours, it was just three simple rounds. Simple my butt. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's, it's funny now that we're recording this and I actually went out and did this. I looked up the definition of levy yes. be- because I couldn't get past the American Pie song. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Right. So I couldn't get, what do they mean by levy? But but if I had probably looked this up before we played the game, it might have ended some of the confusion. I mean, that means to impose a tax or to muster or enlist troops. Amazing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Which is exactly what you do with that part of the game. (laughs) So during the levy phase, you're getting resources. I'm like, oh man, if I could have just... 
you know, put it in the game terms that I'm used to. It may mm. have cleared some of the confusion. I mean, there's a lot to it. Don't, don't get me wrong. And you said it was simpler than, than previous ones, but I'm just like, okay, the whole gameplay, the logistics of it, it's a logistics puzzle of how you accomplish things. How do you get the Lords on your side? Don't take the boat and not have any way to get your troops anywhere because you got to feed these people. And that's one thing I did. I left them starving in a field. I basically abandoned an army. Mm -hmm. But now that I understand some of the consequences of doing that, I'm not going to do that in the future. Which is why this was just a learning game. I said in 309A, I know that you were like drinking from a fire hose as Mm -hmm. I dumped all these rules out. I just wanted to get us moving so that you could see, oh, okay, during the campaign phase, what, what can I do? Well, you can move. You can approach somebody. You can fight. You can uh, basically try to uh, forage to get some more provender or food. You can have supply routes for getting food. You can, what's called parlay, to try to influence an area, put down one of your influence tokens. So all these actions are available to you, but each Lord has a limited number of actions. Now, one thing we didn't mention in 309A, which I think is really cool, is during the campaign phase, you put the order of how your lords are going to act. So, for example, each of us had two lords in this scenario. Uh, There's three cards per lord. And depending on what month you're playing in, there's a certain number of cards you'll put in your deck, like four to six or something like that. And whatever order you put them in, then you resolve them one at a time. I like that part because there could be this bluffing element. It's like, oh, is Tony going to come over here and attack me? Should I put my guy on top here to to get out of the way before he gets here. So that's the part of the game that I really think gets into the mind games mm-hmm. of bluffing of the order that Lords will activate. And some of them you may not even activate at all because there are some games or scenarios where you have more Lords than you have the number of activations. So some of them you won't even use in a round. Right. And and that was one of the things you asked me. You, you looked at me one time and go, why did you pass? And I said, because they're starving in the field. I can't move them. <laughs> And if you, and I know you were teaching me and as, and when you teach a game, you really don't think about the strategy or how things are going to play out because you're more interested in making sure the other person is adhering to the rules and is understanding the game. But you would have noticed that you would have said his guys are starving in the field. There's no way for him to get food. There's no way for him to activate those people during the campaign. So he is really going to concentrate in this area. That is part of this game understanding where they, where those people are and how, what is going to impact them on their turn so that you know, okay, I can maybe plan for that or, Oh wait, maybe he's going to move this guy first. So it, it took me back when we were doing this and we've talked about this on the show, it took me back to the, our old Starcraft, the board game where you're putting the, you know, the move mm-hmm. tokens and the mm-hmm. order tokens on top of it. And the other thing that I, that I found very interesting in this game is you love to throw out the terms provender. Provender, yeah. I'm like, what the heck is that? Okay. Yeah, I did. I should, when you teach games like this, you should give definitions of what the terms are. Or just call them what they are, food. Food, I know, but 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 when the chit actually says P-R-O-V, <laughs> you know. Provider. It's like, oh, yeah, well, whatever. But okay. anyway, one thing we didn't mention was uh, uh, conflicts. How do battles occur? I think it's pretty straightforward. You're going to have lords that face off against each other. You're going to have archers and melee people, and there's different phases. Uh, basically, the attacker will add up all his hits, 
based on the number of archers that they have, the defender is going to roll. He's going to pick some of his defenders to try to defend against it. If they're wearing armor and they're going to roll dice, and if they have a certain value, they block the hit. If not, they're routed. And you go through an archery phase, a melee phase, and you keep going round after round till somebody gives up or somebody is just totally routed. It took us a while, Ignacy and I, on Nevsky to learn how battles work. But after I've gone through it enough times, it's like, okay, it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. After we did this, and if it's the simpler rules, because you talked about how uh, Nevsky had sieging and all this other stuff, here it was pretty straightforward. I shoot, you shoot resolve who got hit, remove them from the field, go into a melee phase, rinse and repeat. Yeah, that's actually really it. At any point in time, somebody said, I'm done leaving. And then whoever loses, uh, the other person gets stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. gets some provender, you know, mm-hmm. the spoils of war, et cetera, stuff like that. So again, I like this system because it has some resource management. It does have some combat with some dice rolls It has some logistics planning. It's a lot of little things that I like in a game that's in this one system. That's why it's always appealed to me. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to playing it again. And I know it says 30 to 480 minutes. You'll never see me at 480 minutes because, I mean, I'll be routed by then because I'm sure someone will have died of starvation, including myself. Well, again, the, the reason for that is when you see that, it's because there's different scenarios that can be played in a game. The rounds are based on number of months, basically. If you play the full number of rounds, and I can't remember how many it is, uh, in the teens, number of rounds mm-hmm. for a full game, it could take a while. You and I just did a simple three rounds. I do appreciate that the scenarios are broken up into short, medium, and long. So depending on how much time you have, that's the round number that you pick. But I feel that if you somebody really knows the rules and you play that three-round game, you could easily knock it out in under an hour. Uh, I, mean, I agree with you. Thank you for trying it out with me. I've hoped you like it enough to maybe try it again. I'm getting ready to do a remote game right now with Ignacy with the exact same scenario. We're going to play by video. And so I'll know this game a little bit more the more I play it. So that is Plan Tangent and Hitler's Reich, both from GNT Games. So before we kick off some of our five-minute segments here for some of the games we covered during game night, I just want to point out, Marty, that after our GMT discussion, it dawned on me and this episode that we are really becoming those guys that sit at cons in the corner <laughs> playing war games. But but again, we I know, but they're not the guys that I see that just sit there, pour out over a hex map all day with little tweezers moving things around a board. No, we're, we're, we're not there yet. But I mean, we wanted to. You said, well, can you get Civil War on the table from GMT? And I'm like, I, no. I do. Oh, yeah. but that, I said, I that, do that, want to play that. I do too, but it's, it's the chits. It's all, yeah. uh, you know, it's the rule book that's a small telephone book for those of you who don't know back in the day people had these things in their house called a telephone mm-hmm. and you would get every year you'd get a telephone book that would list people's names that you could look it up it was this really interesting concept you know where you could actually go into a book and find numbers easily of people or just pick somebody and call them and ask them if their refrigerator was running and you say uh no then you say, well, you might want to get it fixed. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's the other way. They say yes, then you might want to go catch it. Yes. Oh, those were the good old days. 
Oh, remember the one I never got is Prince Albert in the can. It's like, what does that even mean? And somebody had explained to me like Prince Albert was a tobacco or something. So wait a minute. Are we supposed to be doing a five minute initiative or something? Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Sometimes at rolling dice and taking names, not all games are for us and they are actually for like family edition. And that's what we encountered recently with Tipperary by Gunter Burkhart from Lookout Games. This is from their family series, eight and old. And this is a tile. Eight and old? Eight plus, sorry. Eight and older. <laughs> eight, no, it's not eight and younger. We did that better on 309A. I know we did. So let's just cut to the chase. You are selecting, you are not, yes, you are selecting tiles based on where a spinner lands and you are trying to build a field. Hold on, pause. Yes, y'all, there's a spinner in this game, Mm -hmm. the classic old school spinner. All right. Yes, and that spinner has the very five shields, family shields. So when it stops, you get to select from two tiles. Based on the shield of the family that I have. Yes. Yes. Yes, it was definitely done better in 309. (laughs) Because I'm just I'm trying to get through this and you keep correcting me. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So you pick one of two tiles based on where the spinner lands. Right. Got it. Go. And these, do you want to go ahead and say polynomials? Because you know I can't do it. Polynomials. You kept Poly-mon- calling them polynomials in 309A. Yeah, po- poly- it's got an M in there. Polyminos. On the po- polyominoes. Polyominoes. Okay. So like, yeah, like dominoes. Dominoes. Polyominoes. Polyominoes. So we are just eating up the five minutes here, not explaining the game. But anyway, <laughs> so you're placing. Here, you want me to do it? Because you're just, going to, you're just going to draft a tile and you're going to put it in your tableau in front of you. And based on how all of you align tiles, you can get points. Hey, if you put sheep tiles next to each other, you're going to get points based on the number of sheep that are next to each other. Whoever has the most sheep at the end of the game in one of their areas gets an additional five points. Hey, if I put a wheat next to a distillery, that's whiskey. I get to move my whiskey uh, marker around on my board and the farther it goes, the more victory points I get or maybe unlock an additional sheep that I could put on to give me more sheep or hey I could go out there and try to just get the biggest rectangle because the bigger rectangle I have without any uh, empty spaces in in the game is going to give me some points or I can get a circle of stones that have uh, actual point values on them that give me points at the end of the game I can get two marshes next to each other and if I do I get to draw a random tile from the board a one square tile that I can put somewhere on the board to help me out and what's those other things if you get three in a row you get ruins like a stone. yeah get get three ruins in a vertical or horizontal line you get a castle that you can place at the end of the game to fill in places and then uh, after you draft a bunch of stuff you count up all your points mm-hmm. pretty much after 12 rounds you're done and that was one of the things that was flooring everybody Marty's like what, we're only going to play 12 rounds? Where is the game here? I mean, y'all, this is the most basic of a tile laying game I've played in a very, 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 very long time. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in your own little world. You're, there's no planning ahead because of the spinner. Um, you may want, uh, but, but I mean, is there a planning ahead when you're drawing tiles from a bag? No, there's not. So the spinner is just an add on, it makes it fun. It makes yeah. it, it gives you some, Ooh, please land on yellow. Please land on, you know, even, 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 you know, going, going from roulette there. So, cause I really need that tile. Oh, I missed it. Did he take that tile? I think this game would definitely play better with more players because of the turnover of the tiles would be there. I mean, the BGG says best with two. I would challenge that, but that's just, that's just me. 
this is family weight. This is if if you have people who really don't want the competitiveness of Carcassonne or any of the other King Domino or any of these other tiling games out there, then give Tipperary a look because it, it's the wood sheep, all that. It all looks very nice. It's easy to explain. You ha- just need to walk through the scoring so people understand how the scoring does. But Marty just did it, so play that audio part for them. It is a very basic game. If nobody's ever played a tile lane game, this is a really good introductory because it's short. If you're an experienced gamer and you have other tile lane games that you enjoy, I almost promise you this will not replace it because it's just too vanilla and too simple. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just assuming that most of the audience are probably more experienced. But if the holidays are coming up and there's like, man, I wish there was something quick. I could, I really like tile lane games. I wish there was something I could show family members. I mean, it's right there on the box, Tony. Family series of games. This is a good family game for tile placement. That is Tipperary from Lookout Games. Five minute initiative is complete. Y'all, this comes out on uh, November 28th, and there's not many days left to be able to use our affiliate code, a rolling 10, to get $10 off orders of $75 or more. It ends December 1st, so hopefully you listen to this episode early enough to be able to take advantage of it, or I hope you listen to our previous episodes and got it, because y'all, there were some amazing things happening uh, over November. There was Black Friday sales, there was one day where there was... Free shipping for orders $50 and over. And you know what? That wasn't in the daily email, y'all. Nope, nope. You had to go over there and click on the miniaturemarket.com website to see this was going on. That's what they do. They just sneak in there stuff like that. Oh, by the way, we're having a big sale on this. I'm having a big sale on that. And it's going to end today, so you better hear me get it before midnight. By the way, well, by the way, where was my email to tell me that there was free shipping on $50? Did you, where was my WhatsApp? It was, in, of, Discord, it was in Discord channel. That's where I posted it. I don't I have. it on Twitter too. Okay. A, I don't have Twitter loaded. Fair. B, Discord is not on my phone. Why don't you put it on your phone? Because I don't know why I have not put Discord on my phone. I just have not gotten around to it. I know, I know I am a problem child. So, all right. So it sounds like to me, then you're the type of person that needs to make sure you go out to miniaturemarket.com every day to see what kind of specials are going on. And it would be really great, y'all, if you use our affiliate link that's over on our website, rolldicetechnames.com. If you just click on the Miniature Market logo, you can use our affiliate link. And what that does is just lets Miniature Market know, hey, oh, you came through uh, rolldicetechnames.com website. We appreciate that. And we would appreciate that too if you would use that link. In fact, just bookmark it. Just bookmark. In fact, Tony, that's what I do is bookmarks for every time I go to Miniature Market. I'm using that link. Oh, I need to do that because I'm on Miniature Market site right now for the Party Hard sale that's going up to 25% certain games because I was looking for the inside job or any of those other party games that are out there that we have uh, haven't been able to play on the show yet. Oh, okay. I'll go do that right now. Yeah, why don't you go do that? And why don't you go do that and make sure to head over to miniaturemarket.com. One of the games we got to see at Gen Con this year was a game from the OP called The Art Project. This is from designer Florian Syriax and Benoit Turpin and an artist you've probably heard of, Vincent Dutre. So you know that it's going to look really good as it does. This is a co-op game. And Tony, when I first heard about this game, I saw... Uh, on the on the table, it's like, okay, well, there are maps. Um, each of you are playing as a player. 
that is going around to try to collect pieces of art. But as you do that, there's this society called the White Hand that keeps spawning in different cities that are trying to thwart you from getting that art because you have to remove all those White Hand pieces from a city before you can take an art supply. And you're trying to collect a certain number of art containers based on the map that you're playing. So all that to me is like, oh, this is just pandemic Mm -hmm. with a different theme. But what we found out as we played the game, the player actions aren't like pandemic at all. In fact, I think it really adds some unique uh, mechanics within the games that creates a really cool cooperative experience. Yes. I mean, first off, you don't have a special powers for each player. So I like that. That's different. But I like how when you're getting these mission cards, you, I mean, at the beginning of the phase, you get two mission. Everybody gets two mission cards. And on these mission cards, it's going to tell you a resource that you have to spend. Now, these resources are a shared pool except for your health. And you can always use health to pay for a resource. But health is in limited supply as it should be. But you're so, hey, Marty, I got some resources over here that I need to be able to spend, but I hope you can generate them because if not, my health is going to take a hit here. And by the way, if someone dies, game over. You're working with one another. So you pay this resource. Then you place these white hands out on the various cities based on a symbol that's on that card. You may be adding one. You may be adding two. You may not add any. It depends on the card. And then you will collect various resources that you can add back into the pool. So sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, you may need to sacrifice this just to get certain resources for someone else. But the whole point of these cards is that you need to do set collection because by getting various sets of these symbols on the back, you're able to put art on the, on the board, which is the end game. Collect the art to win. This game and the management of resources is what drives this game for me. It was very very hard, very challenging to make sure we had the right resources when we needed them because there were some card draws where we were all like, oh crap, we're, we're going to take, this is not, this is not going to be a good thing. And I love during this phase too, that we couldn't show each other what cards we had, but we had a lot of discussion. It's like, guys, look, we, in our next phase called the movement phase we'll talk about in a second we got to spend fuel to get around and there's no fuel we have in the shared supply and i could say well guess what i've got a card that's going to generate two fuel but unfortunately it's going to cost us a walkie-talkie that we don't have on the board tony may go well guess what i have a mission card here that will actually add walkie-talkies to the supply and it's going to cost us a gun but there's a gun there so let me play my card first i'm going to pay that gun put the mark, white hand markers where I need to. Then I'm going to put into the supply the uh, the fuel, then play your mission card so that you can spend the fuel. You know, and you could have these, the order of play is really important. And that's where the discussion of the game was really good. In this phase, we would just talk about what needed to be done. Hey, we need three of this symbol. If we get three of this symbol, this art project is going to drop on the city, which we happen to be near So in the movement phase, what we can do is we can spend fuel to move one space at a time and we get over there. And if there happens to be white hand markers there, well, then, Tony, we have to have a fight because we can't collect that art until there's no white hand markers in that city. Right. And we also need to make sure that not too many show up there because they can lock down a city. The lost city, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like an outbreak and pandemic. Mm hmm. When that happens, basically that city is marked as a lost city. No art can go there. 
And you cannot stop or move through that city, which we'll talk about in a second because that was that was kind of a negative to me for the game because it that, made it that tough. Really hurt us. It made it tough. And then and then if any white hands come out, they go into a shared pool up at the top, which determines the strength when you're battling these. Okay, so battling, battling is rolling dice and comparing strength of what you rolled on the dice to the white hand strength. And the white hand strength is dependent on where, how many art collections that you have. Now, this is one thing, and I know this is me just thinking backwards on this game. If there are no art, if you haven't collected any art hand, the white hand thinks they're getting away with things scot-free. So their strength is not too much. All right? Right. So right. you, you, you add the strength up that's on the board plus the number of white hands in the city you're in, compare it to the dice roll. And as time moves on, you can recruit allies, which is basically adding dice to the pool that you can then roll. Which is achieved through spending walkie-talkies, mm-hmm. which is the other resource. And the allied dice are very expensive at the beginning. It costs six walkie-talkies. Uh, but as you collect more art, the cost of the allied dice goes down. And you're going to need those allied dice because you're only rolling 1d6. And when you need like a value of 15, there better be multiple of you there each rolling one die with hopefully some allied dice too. But the white hand strength is increasing because you're taking their artwork and they're not happy with you. So they're getting very angry and agitated. So yeah, there's there's the, the coordination of that, being able to discard mission cards as well to let you re-roll dice, which is key because if you don't have a way to re-roll, then this game's going to be over even before it got started. So very challenging on the battle to be able to collect the art. Always managing the resources, getting them on there, and then using the cards. I like car. I like games where a mechanic, the playing of the mission cards, is used in other aspects of the game. So that also adds more value to them and adds a lot more discussion. Like, you know, we need to really get an art piece here, but we, God, do we want to spend it. But not everything is lost. If you got guns, you can add to your dice as well, plus two to every dice or to the final roll for every gun you spend. Mm-hmm. But now these lost cities, you can't move through them. You can't, you know, you can't stop in them. If you get trapped by them, you lose uh, the game immediately. It was very, it was one aspect of this game that was. What do you mean you lose immediately? In the rule book, if you're trapped, Bert, look this up. You lose. If you can't move, you lose. You can't oh, sit there. Oh, if you're caught in between two lost, lost cities. cities? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. And also, the, uh, there's a certain number of Lost City markers. Typically, it's three. Once those go out on the board, if a fourth one needs to go down, you can't do anything. But what we found was tough. And there's six maps. And we looked at these other maps. Depending on where Lost Cities pop in, it could totally lock you out of a certain part of a map. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, that city I can never get to anymore because there's a Lost City between me and it. And there's no other path to get to that city. That's tough. And we yeah. kept looking through the rulebook over and over again. Are we sure we're doing this right? And it says you cannot move through, which is the important part. Since I can't move through, then I can't get to the city that's on the other side of it. All right. And we lost a city that had a junction in it on the first easy map. And that mm-hmm. just really ruined that. That city was key because you would have to then loop up and over. And you did not have the fuel to do that. So it was kind of like, oh, f- fine. Well, we can lose those cities. But what Marty said, you have a limited source of lost cities that you can put down. And if you run out of those, you lose the game. So this game, you know, to sum it up for me is one of those co-op games where you are not going to have more successes than defeats. You will be defeated a lot. Mm -hmm. 
I don't mind that. That does not bother me. It may make others. It reminds me of the challenges of Robinson Crusoe. You need to appreciate that, that you have to be good and you have to have luck on your side because of the die roll and the mission cards that come out because that's the way this game plays. But I do appreciate that the luck of the die can be mitigated by guns, mm-hmm. uh, getting allies, and uh, just you coordinating to be there with other people so that you have more dice being rolled. This is not a pandemic clone. You may look at it and go, oh, it's similar to pandemic because things are popping out that I need to remove, you know, that sort of thing. But the mission card play dynamic, the movement phase and the whole fighting and everything like that uh, with the dice makes it feel totally different than pandemic. And y'all, there are six different maps. Each map has its own set of rules. So it's not just like, oh, here's just a new map with the play it the same way as the other map we just played. One of the maps is if you move one direction north, uh, you don't have to spend fuel. But if you move south, you do have to spend fuel. So then direction matters of the two ways you go. So every map is a little bit different. And with six included in the box, this gives you a ton of replayability. This plays up to six players. It's listed at 40 minutes. And Tony, with six players, I still think you give this in in under an hour once you understand the game. I think most of the game is really going to be just the communication part of the game because resolution of the mission cards and everything like that is pretty quick. Yeah. I think this game could be over in 10 minutes too. If things don't go well, <laughs> that's true. That's true. So I dug this y'all as somebody that came in was just expecting something. It's just pandemic with a different theme. It is not. This is the art project out now from the OP y'all. If you need another good solid co-op game, that's hard in your collection. Check this one out. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Rolling dice and taking names. We'll get some co-op games on the table from time to time. And we got one called Tesseract. Wasn't the Tesseract in the Marvel films? It sure was, Tony. That's what Loki was going after in the first Avengers movie. Tesseract from uh, Smirk and Laughter Games designed by James uh, Fernhaber. It's a co-op game where you are trying to keep the world from going boom. And Mm. basically you got a cube of dice. You've got 64 dice, four by four by four stacked up on a Lazy Susan, four by four by four. Mm -hmm. And 16 times four. That's 64. Amazing. Engineer. Math works. And you are trying to move those dice that are in this Tesseract onto a containment board by filling up all those four colors by making sure that you fill up that board. Because if you do, you win the game. Now, on your turn as a player, you have three actions you can take, such as removing a tile or adjust, I'm sorry, a tile, uh, removing a dice or adjusting a dice up or down one pip, or maybe you're going to give a dice to another player to put in his lap. You're going to do this because you want to be able to create runs or sets of colored dice or of all different type that allow you to put it a containment, which allows you to put a dice on the containment. And then you get to keep two of those dice. There are special cards that may let you put more than that, but that's the meat of the game. Moving dice from one area to the containment by building runs and sets. You have special player powers. Looks great on the table. Oh, it's definitely one of those games that if somebody walks by, they would just be really impressed by it. See this nice little lazy Susan sitting there with this cube of dice on top. And by the way, at the very end of your turn, what you must do, like you said, you must grab a die from the cube that's one of the lowest on the stack. 
Give that sucker a roll and it goes into the priming area. If there's ever three of the same value in the priming area, bad stuff happens. That's right. You're going to have a breach, baby. And you can have um, multiple breaches if you have too many. If you get, you know, for every time you have to put one, when it's greater than three, you have a breach. If you get to six, you got two breaches going on. And if you get up to eight total breaches, game over. If you can never remove a dice from the um, Lazy Susan, then the game is over. Oh, and by the way, if you expose on the on the disc at the bottom a symbol, that creates an issue for you. It could be a chain reaction. You could be adding dice into the discard pool. Um, there are various things that could occur. Nice thing about this, it comes with eight varying levels of play and the challenges on those discs that you're stacking all the dice on at the beginning of the game. Now, the big knock of this game is don't knock over the Tesseract. <laughs> yeah. So it was funny. Bert said that uh, this shouldn't be a dexterity game, but every time you went to pull a die from the stack, you felt like you had to be very careful. And there's a couple times where we accidentally, you know, knocked a die the side and we had to kind of restack it and stuff. It's fine, but it is something you got to kind of be careful of as you're playing the game because if you accidentally knock over your cube of dice, that's pretty much it. You have to reset the game up because. When you grab a die off the top, it needs to keep that same value when you put it into play on your uh, player boards. Uh, one thing I found about this, I thought it was a great cooperative game that there was a lot of discussion because there was a lot of player interaction of being able to give dice to other people. There were these cards that you could also get when you uh, placed a die and you had two die left over, you could roll those two die and draw a, a card that you could play as a free action during your turn. One of the actions you could do though was turn in uh, one of your free action cards and level it up. There's like three levels of action cards with the highest one being pretty powerful. Those cards can create some really cool combos and you would work together to try to get people uh, dice in other people's labs. So on their turn, they could try to fill out an entire row or column. So as a cooperative game, I really enjoyed the puzzle of mm -hmm. the game of trying to basically get one of every color of every number out on the board to win the game. And I think some of the co-op games suffer from, I don't want to call it singularity, but you're going to do your thing mm -hmm. and try to mitigate the bad luck. I really did felt like we were sitting there trying to work towards, okay, what's Marty going to be able to do on his turn? So maybe I can structure my turn to not only be a benefit for the team with me, but also down the road, Marty will have a benefit as well. You may think it's very gimmicky with this cube and all, but did enjoy the co-op aspect of it. Something to consider. I mean, ages 14 and up, I, I think you could get down lower as long as someone, shoot, you might need those young fingers to be able to pull those cubes off of it. That is Tesseract from Smirk and Laughter Games. Five minute initiative is complete. If you are listening to us on 1128, you have time to get in to Game Topper's 4.0 Kickstarter. This is the last day of it. If you are listening on 1128, if you are not listening on 1128, which pretty much is everybody, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few. Um, we appreciate y'all that, that take in the rolling dice and taking names on the day it's released. You missed the Kickstarter, but that didn't mean, that doesn't mean that you have missed out on the great products over at Game Toppers. We're talking about 
something that could have sat on your dining room table right after Thanksgiving and protected your games from the turkey gravy. Yes, Marty, in 309B, we're going to talk about the turkey gravy again. Oh, yeah. We're going to do that again. We right, are. Because so it go. was good. Go. That was probably was the best It was part. good content. Let me see if I can remember. So, so, so set it up again. So look, All right. Bring me so, in. Okay. Here we go. Right, here so we go. here we go. Right, here we go. go. So here, here we go. go. So Game Toppers LLC, you put down the Game Topper. First off, you got nowhere to go because there's food everywhere all over because of Thanksgiving, right? Right. If you had had a game topper, you could have basically just wiped the food away. And if there was any residue left on the table, you could have stuck that game topper down on the table and it would have protected the game. It would have protected them because the turkey gravy would not have seeped through that incredible construction. Here's my question. So you're saying we put the game topper on top of the turkey gravy. So my question is when Berkey designed this, did he take that into account? Because you know, right now, uh, the bottom of a game topper will stick firm to a table. That sucker is not going to slide at all. But would turkey gravy possibly uh, reduce the coefficient of friction to where it'll possibly start sliding? Or you think he engineered it well enough to where possibly the bottom of the game topper will soak up the turkey gravy uh, in order to make sure that uh, it does not slide? Now, I will say this. I know my turkey gravy at Thanksgiving mm -hmm. is not a lubricant. It mm. is actually a binder. <laughs> <laughs> Which you find out the next Thanks day. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a good point. So actually it makes it more sticky. So where there's no way that game topper is going to slide. That's right. That game topper is going to go right up against that table. and It's not going to come <laughs> off there. And also you've got cup holders that you can attach to these things. So you can keep people from spilling stuff on your beautiful board games that you're playing. So as you prepare for the next holiday, be thinking about heading over to Game Toppers LLC to get you a Game Topper to stick on your table to protect your games because you know what? Nothing is disheartening as having a game get sopping wet over a spilled drink. All right, in 309A, we talked about video games and Marty went gaga over some Mario games. Super and Mario RPG. So I have a question that I didn't ask in the first take of this. It was, sure. is it an RPG? Is it, it, are you leveling the characters up? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're playing as different characters within the Mario universe. It is a turn-based game, but there's some timing to it. Like when you take an action, you can sort of time with a button press to maybe do some additional damage, but it's a party-paced game. So you'll, you'll fight against like multiple enemies. You'll have multiple people in your party. You can activate each individual party member. Each of them will have special abilities. You're playing through a story. You're leveling them up. It's cool. I mean, if you like RPGs, it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite games of all time, which was turn-based, was uh, Sky, Skies of uh, Skies Arcadia. Of, uh, of Arcadia. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is a JRPG, which this very much mimics a JRPG, but in the Mario universe. Okay. All right. Can I be like uh, Yoshi? Uh, well, you'll play multiple characters. I think ah. you start out as Mario, but you'll, I think, I've never played the original on the SNES, but I think you collect party members as you play. But I don't know if you've ever heard of the Paper Mario series. Yes. The Paper Mario series was also an RPG. So it's not a platformer. There's no jumping Thank or God. anything like that. It is literally a role-playing game, which you honestly may like then. Oh, I know. Yeah, I like role-playing games. I mean, I've got tons of them. <laughs> that I am playing or not playing or trying to right. ever play again 
But yes, I enjoy the role-playing games. You know, I think I played the Assassin's Creed Valhalla so much that I had no interest in picking up Mirage. No interest mm, at all. Yeah, yeah. which recently came out. That kind of came and went, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was not well-received. Basically, they said, you've seen it, you've done it. You know, oh. uh, there's not anything really new here supposedly i i didn't even see a lot of the people i follow i didn't even see them posting a lot of youtube videos on it right so you know like you need to go do this in the first hour of the game to ensure that you've got the best gear so i was like okay maybe this is not going to be the game for me and i also think my feed has been cluttered up with um oh i don't know dog grooming videos and other stuff oh um how to buy a new car <laughs> yeah the whole ignition thing right yeah well no it's actually what what has car buying become cuz i needed to know cuz you know since the pandemic car buying has changed in the united states from the standpoint of um you know you don't you don't negotiate there is no negotiation anymore. You may be able to give me your best deal. And if anybody tells you, oh, by the way, we're going to charge a little bit more than MSRP, you walk out now. You do not do that. Oh, um, no, I would never. I would never do that anyway. Now, in, the, in 309A, I did say I was going to, after like a five-minute discussion on why you hadn't played Spider-Man, and maybe you should go buy it. I forgot. I just have it. Since you're a big Spider-Man fan, mm -hmm. I do think you should play um, Spider-Man. Oh, but you got to do kind of one kind of sets up to you don't really need to play Miles Morales. But um, as a Spider-Man fan, I must say swinging through the city is extremely satisfying. Mm -hmm. That whole mechanic of the game is really fun. Yeah. We were talking about, you know, shows and we talked about the uh, SAG screen, screen actor guild, Netflix uh, earlier in the show. And oh, um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We did. Uh, Wait a minute, was that on 309A or 39B? B, B. it was on B. It was on B, okay, thank was, you. Because <laughs> we were talking about glass blowing. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. yeah. Which so, we did not talk about on 309A. Right, because we ended up with a 30-minute discussion on Christmas trees. <laughs> Y'all are welcome. <laughs> All right, but with that, keep rolling dice. And taking names. Hi, all Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by heading over to buymeamoonpie.com. We would love your support either through a one-time donation or from a recurring monthly donation. Every dime that we get goes right back into the show for making some of this great quality content. <laughs> you know, maybe if we made some more money, it would be higher quality? There's only one way to find out. Head over to buymeamoonpie.com. All right, so there we go. Another episode of 309, 309B. Uh, I guess, will there be a 309C? We won't know till we stop the recording. You ready? No, I've, I've been watching the counter. I'm not ready because it is already late and you and I are becoming pumpkins. All right. Well, here we go. If there's a 309C, you know why. It's only going to be 30 minutes. <laughs>